Good to see all of you here this morning, bright faces, happy to be here worshiping God together. If you're, wor- or if you're visiting with us, excuse me, stick around so we can get to know you this morning afterward. I guarantee that there'll be someone here wandering around after worship. Usually it takes about an hour for us to kick everybody out of here. But with life groups going on, that's not always the case right now. So I want to encourage you, participate in your life group. Sounds like we had good attendance last Sunday at life groups. Uh, Looking forward to hearing more about that as we get into it. You may have noticed several of the adult men moving a little gingerly this morning. That's because the young people decided that they needed to be taught a lesson in playing football, namely how to get hurt. But there was a good time yesterday at the Chili Bowl. Uh, I think that it went well for those of us that didn't end up in the doctor's office. Uh, There's sign-up sheets in the back for VBS. Uh, Amy is somewhere around here. She's right there. She put those on the back table this morning, and she's asking for us to look at it, see where we can fit in. Uh, But one thing that she did request is that if, for instance, like say, you wanted to volunteer for snacks, just as an example, and you are slow in getting back there, and everyone has already signed up for snacks. She's asking that you don't add your name to a self-drawn portion of the list. Find somewhere else that you're willing to serve. She also had said she's not going to turn anyone away if they show up during VBS to serve, even though they may not have signed up on the sheet. She will find a spot and put you in, but that doesn't give us the reason to not sign up on the sheet at all and leave Amy stressing as she's doing all the planning for VBS. Prayerfully consider how you want to sign up for that. Karen has also asked... Uh, Those of our number who like to smoke meat, (laughs) you got to put meat in there, Uh, March 5th, (laughs) sounds like we're having a smoker's convention of meat. Sign up if you're interested in it. Side dishes are needed. Talk to Karen if you have any questions. Tuesday is this, we got food pantry this week. If you are interested in helping, talk to Bud. He's more than happy to plug you in. And again, I mentioned this Wednesday night. If you are interested in going with Mr. Tyrone to Ethiopia to help with the VBS, we need to know as soon as possible. Come see me. I can get you more information on it and get you plugged in on all of the information that's on that. And that's all we've got for housekeeping. Let's get into lessons, shall we? First Peter chapter 4. Open up your Bibles. This is where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. How many of us have ever done a connect the dots puzzle? Recently. Why do we stop doing them? The kids are like, oh, I do them all the time. They're fun. Have you ever look at connect the dots for adults? They're amazing. They are so intricate. There's like 600 numbers that you're supposed to be following and doing all of these different things. And we usually just think of them as a puzzle for kids, but really what it boils down to is following a sequence and just doing what you're told. That's really all connecting the dot puzzles are. And again, they're complicated, they're not, but when we start talking about it in terms of life, when I say, hey, connect the dots on this thing, guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're, you're taking something from here and you're referring to finding the purpose of what's being talked about through all of this. Well, when you look at 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 1, there's that word that it starts out with, the therefore. And so what Peter is doing when he says therefore, what we all should be doing when we get into the text is connecting everything that he has said leading up to this point 
and identifying what the purpose is that he has led us to. He has been hammering the point that Christ is the example for us to follow. That has been Peter's entire point up to this. And in chapter four, he's now not only referring to Christ's death, but referring to his entire life. So it's not just one thing that we're supposed to be emulating in life as we're following Jesus' example. It's all the things. And we're supposed to be able to connect that all together. And using Christ's whole life, what Peter does is he provides for us actual motivations for living. We actually get to see why we do what we do, okay? And in many ways, if you think about it, Christianity presents at least two new things into the world. With the teachings of Christ and the gospel and everything that comes with it, there's at least two new things that are being presented. First is this new life that a person is called out of. And the difficulty for a lot of people in Christianity is that this new life is in direct opposition to the mentality that is prevalent in the world and was prevalent in their own minds prior to coming to Christ, okay? And then there's this new set of motives for behavior. So we've got new life and new motives that are being presented to us in Christianity that were not there in the hearts and minds of many of the believers at the time that Peter was writing, okay? And both of these ideas are present in the text. Because what we're going to see is how these ideas impress upon us a life that is spirit-directed and completely focused on doing God's will. All right, so read with me. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to read the first 11 verses. Peter says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they're surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, Boy, wouldn't it have been nice if he had left off those last two words? Anyway, verse 10, sorry. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Everything we do, everything we do as Christians is based upon the example of Jesus's life. Peter spent a lot of time in this letter focusing on the atoning work of Christ's death as as we've been working through the first three chapters. But now when we get into chapter four, he takes the view of how Christ's sufferings are the ideal of the worthy life. 
Are we suffering? Is basically the question that he's asking. And the main idea that he's presenting and building on here is that the pattern of life and the power to follow that pattern are found in Christ, no matter what kind of suffering you find yourself experiencing. And, and if we're submissive, check this out, guys. Did you pick up on this? That if we're submissive to the will of God in our lives, a certain attitude starts to take hold. And think about this, all right? Each of us can look back on our previous life and we can look at the things that we were doing and do we take the attitude that those things were utterly despicable? That we can't even believe what we were doing back then. They are so atrocious. That that's the attitude that Christ puts within us as we look back on the things that we have done. And then we realize, man, you know how much time I wasted in all those behaviors? You know, that was just ridiculous. The energy, the finances, everything that was involved is just utter waste in these despicable, atrocious acts that I did. And then when we come to that realization, we go, man, that was enough. I don't need to do that anymore. I, I already did enough on that. In fact, I, I can't even imagine doing that anymore because of how much time was actually wasted of my life doing those things. And we, and we can come to this conclusion really simply, guys, because did those things that we did in our previous life before coming to Christ actually satisfy? Did they bring us joy? Was there any purpose in them? Well, let's just use some common sense here, guys. We know how this works. If you know that you've been wasting your time on something, let's just say uh, in your regular life, around your house or at work, and you know you're wasting time and energy on something, how long does it take you to figure out that you've wasted enough time doing that stuff? And what do you do when you realize you're wasting time, energy, and resources on it? Man, you drop it like a bad habit. And you move forward in a way that is productive and purposeful. And that's Peter's point here. He said, you guys, you're looking at Jesus as your example, and you've already done everything to its excess. Trust me, you've done enough, okay? Everything that you've done was enough. You weren't satisfied on it. You were ready to move on. And you did. And when you did, because of Jesus' example, you left it all behind. Because you counted the life that Christ was promising as more worthy than the life you were living. Your attitude has changed. You have, your motivations have changed. And here's the logical conclusion to this. Because Peter is not writing to people who live in a Christianity bubble who aren't actually living in the world. He's, living, he's talking and writing to people who are living in society. Us, them, it doesn't matter. And did you notice what happens when he says, you know, you changed the way that you were doing it. You realized that you were wasting effort and energy over here. And now all of a sudden you're not. And they look at you and go, what's up, man? You were running with us before. Why ain't you running with us now? I don't even recognize you, man. Anybody ever experienced that? Those that we used to run with now think that we're strange people. 
can't recognize us anymore, we do understand that this is the logical conclusion of the gospel. People are supposed to think we're strange. They're not supposed to recognize us anymore if they knew us from our previous life. You know why they don't recognize you anymore? Because it's not you they're supposed to be seeing. It's Jesus. And so they malign us, refusing to acknowledge the change, acknowledging the good that's in us, and we become unrecognizable, and it is shocking to them how much we've actually changed. And remember the point of all this. That all of our behaviors are based on Jesus' example. We behave the way Peter is describing because we are tracing Christ's model in our life. Remember that lesson about tracing the model? Okay. And so he says, because we're tracing the model, we've ceased from sin. That sounds fantastic, doesn't it? We've ceased from sin. And I'm not convinced that what Peter is saying is that we have stopped sinning. Okay, what I think he's simply saying is that sin is no longer our master, right? To the point that Paul makes in Romans chapter six, verses 12 through 14, where Paul is, he's writing there, which by the way, Romans chapter six is becoming Jeremy's favorite chapter in the entire New Testament. There's so much good in this chapter and I love it to death. Romans chapter 6, 12 through 14, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Okay, you did that enough. You wasted enough time doing that. Now you obey a different master. Verse 13, Paul says, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. You did that, you've done that enough. Now present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. And this becomes the basis of life. Okay? Especially when you go back to verse 6 in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, and it explains this, right? When he says, For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead. We need not to look at this word dead in a literal way. Okay, for one thing, if a person is literally dead, what good does the gospel do them? That the dead that is being referred to here literally figured and just means unresponsive to life-giving influences. That's Jesus. And so the dead are not literally dead here. This is figurative. The gospel has been presented or has been preached even to those who are dead. By the way, we were dead when the gospel was preached to us. Right? Because, and because there are still those who are dead and are still dead, lost in their trespasses and sins, the gospel has to be continually presented to them over and over again. And those who are alive understand that. And they understand that the only hope for a worthy life is in Christ. It's the only one that makes sense. It's the only one that is functional. 
And we, but we under, also understand that while this is the worthy life, this is the best life, we understand that it's his example, his power that makes that life available for us. So we forsake the stuff that had dominion over us, that had hold on us. We let go of it and we hold on to that which glorifies God. Okay? When you get further into the text and he says, listen, guys, here's the deal. You want to know how to glorify God? You want a simple answer on how to glorify God? Serve one another. Be hospitable. Love one another. Because that is the example that Christ set for us. And it was because of his love for us, there's no imputation of sin, right? Notice what Peter said, what does love do? Covers a multitude of sins. And while that is definitely, obviously the case for us in our relationship with our master, is that not also the case in our relationship with each other? In working through and humbly serving one another and loving one another, that we're able to help each other even when we're in sin? And notice, this is not a denial of sin. We're not denying that sin exists. To do so would make God a liar, by the way. We're not denying the existence of sin. What we are doing is becoming a living, breathing manifestation of the gospel. And when we identify sin, what do we do? We face it. We deal with it. Because that's what Jesus did. And whether that's sin in our own lives, whether we find ourselves going back to the old patterns of life that we wasted all of our time in, or we become aware of sin in one of our number here. It has to be addressed. And it's the love that ends up covering that multitude of sins as a person is brought back into the relationship with the master. The motivations are recharged, reinvigorated in that person's life. And they move forward glorifying God, which by the way, I don't know if we truly appreciate the truth that confession of sin glorifies God. Jesus said in John 17, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. Christ's life and his death were all about focusing on the things that would glorify the Father. And if we're going to be following that pattern We've got to arm ourselves with the same mindset and the same purpose. If you go back to chapter 2, you saw where Peter was walking us through God's intended growth pattern for our lives that we talked about. Here he pulls all those threads together to show us the purpose behind all of them. And that is God glorified 
through his son, working through us. So, for the one that speaks, speak with the utterances of God. To the one that serves, let him serve as Jesus served. Because to each a gift has been given. And to those that have received that gift, there is an expectation that that gift will get put to work. Here's an easy way to understand this concept. How many of you have ever given a gift to a child? And how many of you have ever watched that child take that gift and use it in its unintended way and break that gift? And how many of you got mad when he did that? Why'd we get mad? We gave it to him to use the way he wanted, right? No, that's not how gifts work. Gifts are given with intended purpose and meant to be used in the way according to that intended purpose. God gave each of us a gift. Are we using it according to his purpose? And that's the challenge that Peter leaves with us, isn't it? You know, and and this is funny because sometimes I think we get it wrapped around in our heads that the gift giving is the other way around, right? Like we are the gift to God and we get to tell him, you know, how we're so special and wonderful and everything, right? And, and God looks at, and we trick ourselves into thinking God looks at it and says, oh my goodness, you're so right. That is absolutely your gift. And he maybe does say that, but highly sarcastically. <laughs> He's the one that determines the gift, not us. It's our job to figure out the gift and use it to his glory. And I think we can do that. I really do. I don't think what Peter is presenting to us here is something that's impossible for us to accomplish. I think it's actually very possible. All we have to do is follow Jesus's example. All we have to do is humble ourselves, serve one another, submit to one another, be hospitable to one another, love one another. Let's do that. Let's be a people that are so strange that those who knew us before can't even recognize us anymore. And, and, and maybe they'll malign you. That's okay. You're in good company. But it may be because we understand the importance of what the gospel is for those who are still dead in their sins and trespasses, that they understand that what they're doing is not the life that they are actually being called to and that they hear the voice of God through you. We are the messengers. We are the custodians of this grace. Let's act it. Stephen's got a song for us. We're going to stand and sing it. I believe it is softly and tenderly. And as we sing this song, let the, let the words of the song speak to you, but also let the words of Peter speak to you. As you look in your own life with an understanding of who God has called you to be and what your purpose is. Everything must be done to his glory. It doesn't mean that what Peter is saying is he's not calling us to perfection, and we've talked about this in our Wednesday night class. He's not calling us to perfection. What he's calling us to is a specific attitude of following Jesus and walking with him. And you find yourself where your attitude hasn't been right. Your actions have not been strange. You're ready to get back on track with the master. This is an opportunity for that. I promise you, I have never seen anyone have anything thrown at them when they come forward to confess sin. Do you know why? 
because it's glorifying to God and it unifies us as a body. And we understand the strength and encouragement that comes from leaning on one another. This is a time for that. This is also a time for you if you haven't made the decision to become a Christian. Man, confess Jesus as Lord. Put him on in the waters of baptism. Have those sins washed away. Be raised a new creature, added to the kingdom. Whatever it is that we can do for you this morning, you need the prayers of the body, encouragement, counsel from the elders, whether that's here or even in the back room after worship this morning. Whatever it is that we can do for you, we encourage you, make it known by coming forward while we stand and sing.